0: Welcome to Renovation Church. My name is Jeremy Kelly. I'm one of the elders here. I'm excited to be with you this morning as we, uh, as we continue our series in Romans. How am I doing, man? I'm sorry. <laughs> as we continue our series in Romans 14, and those of you who have been with us for uh, a while, we have been walking through Romans. We've taken some breaks, and uh, we are We are in that part of the book of Romans that honestly is very, very practical. And uh, this morning is no different. Um, We're continuing to hear Paul's argument in regards to the way we love each other. And so I'm going to read Romans 14, verses 13 to 23 with you, and then we'll pray. Let's do that. Romans 14, 13 to 22. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean, who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, and for mutual building up or I'm sorry mutual upbuilding do not for the sake of food destroy the work of god everything is indeed clean but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble the faith that you have that you have keep between yourself and god Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Wow, what a passage. Let's pray together. God, I just pray this morning that you would help us hear from your word, that that you would illuminate it to us, that it would just speak directly to our hearts word that comes from you, a word that speaks to how we're to love each other and reflect your glory as the body of Christ. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear it in a way that we apply it to ourselves. Help us to draw closer to you this morning and closer to each other. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So how do we get from meat and vegetables to destroying each other, right? Think about it. Paul's talking about meat and vegetables and observing days and then destroying each other as brothers and destroying the work of God. I mean, at first blush, when you read this passage, you think, what in the world is Paul talking about? And as we heard last week, Um, As mike preached the beginning of this argument the beginning of this this thought from romans 14 I think we have to remember the whole context of of where we're coming from You see paul has already spent the first 11 chapters of romans preaching or i'm sorry writing um, One of the I would say the most brilliant Articulation of the gospel of jesus christ in the first 11 chapters of romans I mean, he spends the first 11 chapters of Romans describing to us our sin, describing to us our need, describing to us what Christ has done in his sacrifice, in his justification of us, in his forgiveness of us, in the reality that that he has secured our salvation on the cross and and that we are justified, that that we are... um, that who could bring an accusation in Romans 8 against you? If God is for you, who could be against you? Who could, who could accuse you anymore of sin because, because of Christ's death and his resurrection? We've been redeemed. And so in light of the gospel, uh, he, he heads into Romans chapter 12. And, and where he transitions in Romans chapter 12 from 11 chapters of theology, 11 chapters of the reality of who God is and what he's done and what our redemption and salvation means... He's now transitioned in Romans chapter 12 to saying, in light, considering the mercies of God, uh, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And where he's getting at in Romans 12 and 13 and 14, as we read this, is in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ now, in light of the fact of this is what Christ has done for you, and this is who you are as the redeemed, This is how I now want you to live in relationship to each other. Now let's talk about the implications of what Jesus has done. Yes, Jesus did it. We didn't and can't add to it. It's done. And now in light of a redeemed people who are responding to the gospel, not with a life of, if I do this and do this, God will love me more. No, 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 no. People who are secure in the love of christ that he did in light of the gospel now i'm responding with worship in light of what christ has done for me how do i live a life of worship that brings glory to him not to earn anything but because he's given me this incredible free gift of salvation amen so how do we live together how do we live together in light of the gospel how do we live together in light of those who have been redeemed? How do we live together as the church? I grew up in the church, um, really, my whole life. My parents had come to Christ before I was born, and I spent time in the pews of church. I mean, I was born, not literally born in a pew, but I was, was there all the time, and, and they went to a few different churches and I remember I remember church splits, like I remember people, adults, arguing over what color the carpet was, right? Do we use a piano or an organ? Um, you know, what kind of music do we have? You know, and, and voting and splits and, and people just digging in and having these positions on massive secondary issues that, that they were going to dig in, and, and, and the church would be fighting, and the church would be bitter, and people would be yelling at each other in, in, in members meetings, and... Really, it's amazing how little the American evangelical church has looked at Romans 14. Because Paul gets right at it. He gets right at it. Here's what's going on. We're in the church of Rome, and Jewish believers have have come to Christ, and Gentiles have come to Christ, and they're all... Now, because of Jesus sharing in the body of Christ and living together as the church, and what you have culturally, what you have in what Paul's talking about, just to help give some context to it, is there was meat that had been uh, pagan, pagan worship in that day, um, would have been uh, meat would have been sacrificed to idols. And as pagans worshiped idols, they would sacrifice in perfectly good meat and then instead of wasting it that meat would go to the marketplace and it was probably a pretty good deal and wine there was no issue with wine so it's not an issue of whether or not you can drink wine or, or or can't drink wine it's not what this is about wine would have been offered to idols as well and so the wine would go to the marketplace and it was probably a pretty good deal and so you have and you also have jewish believers who had lived under dietary law and ceremonial law and, and, and now have come to Christ and you have gentile believers that didn't didn't submit to those particular days and festivals And weren't really particularly concerned about where the meat came from that they were buying in the marketplace And so they thought listen, I have freedom in christ. I'm a believer. I can eat the meat I'm, not really worried about it And it was blowing the mind of, of some jewish believers who their entire lives had submitted to dietary laws And they're saying you can't eat the meat was sacrificed to idols. Now, some of you are, are, are and I'm going to approach it briefly because it's a huge issue that we could spend probably three weeks on, uh, thinking about, well, what law came through the Old Testament into the New Testament and what didn't, right? Sometimes we think about that contextually. And really what we see and what theologians discuss is, is there is the, the moral law of God. There is the, the moral law, and we're not antinomians in the sense that we don't You know, Jesus fulfilled the law and has freed us, and we are free in Christ, but we also believe the moral law of God as he's laid it out is something we live into. And Christ says the law is now written in our hearts and we, we now love our brothers. And so in the way that we love our neighbor, and we just preached about this through through Romans 13 and into 14, the way if, if we really truly love our neighbor, then we're not going to covet our neighbor's spouse, that we're not going to covet our neighbor's things, that we're not going to um, be angry towards our neighbor, that we're not going to violate the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God in relationship to our neighbor, because we live in in a covenant of grace where we now have the law written on our hearts and we love each other. And that's what really Romans 12, 13, and 14 is getting at. We need to love each other it here's what love means it 's not a feeling of affection it's actually a love that 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 does something amen so the moral law of God of course God God is immutable God does not change and, and we're not saying that he's changed god God does not change and in our love for another we begin to fulfill the laws that's written in our hearts but there was definitely some Uh, There's really three types of law you have the moral natural law of god you had dietary law and you had ceremonial law And really the dietary laws were definitely um, Instituted by god through the pentateuch in the old testament You see it in moses and and they were relevant for a particular purpose and for a particular time But you see in the new testament that 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 is set aside In the ceremonial law jesus fulfilled it. We don't kill bulls anymore we don't, you know, sprinkle blood of animals around anymore because Jesus fulfilled that as the, the final sacrifice for our sins. All of the, that ceremonial law and that dietary law was pointing to Christ, and Christ is the fulfillment of it, and the New Testament tells us that. And so in Christ, Paul declares something that probably blew the Jewish Christians' minds a little bit. Look at this. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So he's dealing with conflict in the church. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of your brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. Listen to that. Paul's Paul's declaring that again. And and it's it's also declared in Mark. Jesus says it in Mark 7.15. That nothing that goes into a man is defiled in and of itself, and that, that food is clean. You see it with Peter and Cornelius in his dream, where, where, where God speaks to him and says, kill and eat the meat. And G- Peter's like, what do you mean, I can eat the meat? And, and he declares the meat clean. And so we see that in Psalm 24, 2 Corinthians 10, Mark 7, 15. And, and, and Paul declares it again, that really, listen, the meat in and of itself is not unclean. It's not unclean. It's fine. You can eat it. But he goes on, anyone, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. What in the world does that mean? It's not unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. I want to jump down to verse 22 and 23 because it answers that question. What does that mean? It's unclean for if you think it's unclean. What do you mean it's unclean if you think it's unclean? I thought you just declared that it's clean. I can eat it. Well, you can. The meat's not going to defile you, the meat in and of itself. But look at verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating... Is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It's not about the meat. The meat in and of itself is clean. Paul's not getting at the meat. What Paul's getting at is your conscience and your faith. (laughs) Hear this for a moment. Paul's talking about your conscience and your faith. Listen, stronger brother. Stronger brother who recognizes that the meat in and of itself isn't unclean. He says in verse 22, if you can eat meat and you have that freedom in Christ and you have that liberty in regards to that issue, don't flaunt it. Keep it between you and God. Don't flaunt that in, in front of your brother whose conscience is bothering him. And if if His conscience is bothering him in regards to the meat. Stop putting a stumbling block in front of him and showing him that, hey, I can eat the meat. What's the matter with you? Don't flaunt it. You keep that freedom that you have between you and God. And don't cause your brother to stumble as he walks according to his conscience before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Remember what he said in in verse 4 last week, 14.4. He says he's speaking to the weaker brothers now because here's... Weaker and stronger in this context is not a moral assessment, okay? That's not what he's doing. But he's talking about weaker brothers who are still struggling with issues that, that maybe, uh, you know, uh, they have picadillos or they have scruples that, that they're just still struggling with that, that maybe in light of the gospel they don't need to struggle with anymore. Um, but they, they, uh, they still do, or it's still an issue for them, or it's something that, that, that's going on with them. And they're saying, well, what happens with the weaker brothers is they say, well, I don't do these things, and so now I'm going to make a rule for everybody else that none of you can do it either, right? That's what Paul was talking about in the beginning of the chapter. Hey, you know, I really feel like God's calling me to be vegan. Clearly that's not true. <laughs> hey, listen, have you ever met... How do you know you've met someone who's vegan or someone who does CrossFit? <laughs> They've told you in the first 30 seconds when you met them. <clears throat> right? They, they, you just, everybody else should do it, right? Everybody else should, should be having this conviction that I have. And this is a rule for everyone now because it's a rule for me. And what Paul addresses in the beginning of the chapter to the weaker brother is, Hey, listen, who are you to condemn The servant of another. Jesus is his Lord or her Lord in the same way that Jesus is your Lord. And to their own Lord, they will stand and fall or stand or fall. And then I love what he says next. And we know they're going to stand because Jesus holds you up. Amen. So as we live in love towards one another. Listen, there may be convictions I have about secondary issues. And again, we're not talking about about things clear from Scripture that God has prohibited. Mike said this last week. If you're cheating on your spouse, this is not an issue of Romans 14. If you're living in sin, this is not a Romans 14 issue. But if you feel like in your conscience you have a glass of wine with dinner or you go out for happy hour after work and have a beer with your coworkers and you think you can do that in relationship to your Lord in the way that you're walking, and someone else feels like they can't do that, to your own Lord you stand or fall. But I believe you'll stand. Amen? Do You hear what I'm saying this morning? How do we live in love towards one another? Paul says... In this passage, basically, church, grow up. Grow up. And live in love towards one another. We're talking about meat and vegetables, and you're destroying each other over it. Why? If in your conscience, God is speaking to you, that you should never have a drink Then if you go have a drink It is sin And if God is speaking to you In your conscience That you can do that In, in the freedom and in the liberty of Christ You can do that in a way that is, that is consistent with the fruit of the spirit In your life Then you do that Between you and God But if you, if you know a weaker brother Who's struggling with it and who can't Don't invite him out to dinner and order a beer Because you love him. And look what Paul says even more. Let me give you another motivation. Because Christ died for him. Listen to this. For if your brothers grieve by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Wow. What a motivation for us to serve each other in light of the gospel, in these secondary issues. I'm going I'm to not flaunt my freedoms in Christ to a brother who maybe doesn't have those freedoms. Why? Because Christ died for him, and I want to live among that brother or sister in such a way that I'm leading them towards Christ and not putting a stumbling block where they may struggle and fall, and I'm not going to certainly flaunt my freedoms in an arrogant way To someone who's struggling with these issues. Does that make sense? This is really about Christian maturity. It's really a passage about living in light of the gospel. Living in a way that we love each other. And we care for each other. And we serve each other. Because why? Because Jesus served us in the most ultimate way. And if we're people who constantly Recognize the realities of the gospel and what Christ has done for us personally. How could we turn to a brother in arrogance and just and just in in the name of our own liberty and freedom hurt or destroy or cause another brother to stumble? I'm so grateful for God's patience and love and service towards me in the reality of the cross. We see that the God of the universe came in massive humility. The incarnation of Christ is one of the most incredible acts of service and humility. Jesus, who lived a perfect life for us in human flesh, giving up heaven, you know, not counting equality with God a thing to be, a thing to be grasped. He gave up. He gave up where he was, and he was incarnate. He's God with us. We we preach about it through Christmas. He's Emmanuel. He he gave that up in in his love for us. He came to be like us. How incredible is that? And then he lived the life of righteousness that becomes, as Luther put it, our alien righteousness that, that we get to have because we couldn't do it. He lived a righteous, perfect life before God and suffered. He suffered and He died in our place as our substitute for us so we didn't have to. While we were still dead in trespasses and sin, Christ died for us. While I wasn't even looking. For Christ, while I was completely disinterested in Christ, while I was doing my own selfish, sinful thing, giving no regard towards the God of the universe who had created me and made me and given me everything, when I was in complete uh, rebellion towards him, he showed his love in that he, he suffered and he died for me in my place, the death I deserved. I didn't even know I deserved it. Christ died for us and was risen again, defeating sin and death on our behalf so that we as sinners now receive the righteousness, the alien righteousness of Christ upon ourselves. And now when we die, we get to stand before God and he doesn't see all of our mistakes and our sin and our rebellion. He sees Jesus. And in light of that, in light of the freedom we have in Christ... The security that we have in Christ, because he accomplished it. He's calling us to live out our faith and sanctification among each other in a response of love and sacrifice towards one another. How dare we stand in pride and arrogance and say, well, I get to do this. It's my right. Are you kidding me? In light of the Christ who gave up so much of his rights. For me, to respond in prideful, it's my right, towards another brother, is a slap in the face of the gospel. Boy, this is hard. Is it not? It's hard. And Paul reminds us of the gospel in this verse because he says this is someone Christ died for. Think about it. This is your motivation. So this weaker brother is saying, listen, I, I just can't do this. I can't do it. And what Paul's saying, if you can't do it, if, if your Lord, if, if Lord Jesus in your walk with him is, is, is putting a finger on something, or maybe it's erroneous, maybe it's just wrong, but they just still can't do it. They're just struggling, and it's like, I can't do it. <clears throat> then Paul says to the stronger brother who lives in freedom, Don't put a stumbling block in front of that person. Is it really more important that you get to have that meat? Is it really more important that you get to have that wine? Is it really more important that you you get to flaunt your freedom? Or is it more important that you walk in love towards your brother and you don't cause them to stumble? Wow. How do we get to a place in church it was like, can't drink, can't smoke, can't dance, can't listen to the radio. I remember I had a friend. We would go, uh, we'd hang, my parents would hang with her parents, and so I was little, and we'd go play in her room, and she always had her radio. This is back when people listened to the radio. <clears throat> she always had her radio turned to like 102.9 WMHR, and then, uh, yeah, Tracy knows exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and she's laughing back there and she had her headphones plugged into the boom box right and then we'd get up there and she'd be like 93q you know and, and then and then when she was done listening to secular music she turned it back to WMHR and, and it was just in case her parents walked in the room and saw that it was not 90 we got so many issues so many things I can't watch that Netflix. You can. I can't watch that movie. You can. I can't listen to that music. You can. And, and, and I, you know, we, we, we can't go to this restaurant. You can go to the eating, drinking, vegetables days. The, the things Paul's talking about and the things we deal with in our own Christian lives as we come from different Christian backgrounds and different types of churches and different histories and different things like that. In light of the gospel, here's what Paul's saying Grow up and love each other. Love each other. Stop arguing about it. Stop splitting over it. Stop dividing over it. If you, if you in, in relationship to Jesus can do certain things, then that's, he says, between you and Jesus. And if someone else can't, don't flaunt it. And if you in relationship to Jesus in your conscience, you can't do it, I just, I can't engage in this kind of activity, then if you do it, it's sin. So don't do it. But guess What? Don't think everybody else has to do it and that they're wrong if they don't, if they do. And don't, in your arrogance and in your discipline in particular areas, see someone else and say, oh, what is verse 13? Don't judge each other in regards to this. Look at that person. I can't believe they went to see that movie and they think they're a Christian. Are you serious? Really, this is, this is very nitty-gritty practical how we love each other in light of the gospel that's what paul's getting at this is how we love each other so honestly what paul says here is that what is what is christian moral behavior is it not doing things or doing things no it's whether or not in our doing we're acting in faith that's what paul's getting at in the way that you live, in what you're doing or what you're not doing, are you doing it in faith? And in your walk with Christ, as he works out your, your, your sanctification, as, he, uh, as you're justified and now walking through the reality of that justification and sanctification, as God's changing you, as God's transforming you, he wants you to do that in faith. And if you're doing it in faith, then you're walking according to the way God wants you to walk in relationship to the law that's written on your heart. Does that make sense? Here's what we don't know all the time in our arrogance. We don't know what's going on in someone else's life. I remember as a young Bible college kid in the early 90s, reading the scripture, and I sat in my dorm room, went to kind of what you would call maybe a legalistic school, and I wrote down every verse that had anything to do with alcohol. And I came to the conclusion from Scripture that being a teetotaler, meaning completely abstaining from alcohol, was ridiculous. That was my conclusion, biblically. And you know what I did as an arrogant college student? Flaunted it. Not realizing that some brother who's decided he's going to abstain from alcohol, maybe had alcoholic parents, maybe saw his dad beating his mom, maybe is afraid that if I go have a drink, I'm going to turn into that. Maybe in in relationship to his Christian walk or her Christian walk, realizes for me to get near it could be dangerous, and Christ is speaking to me to just stay away, and so I'm going to walk this way. And and I grieve over the fact that maybe as an arrogant young knucklehead, I might have caused a brother or sister to stumble in my flaunting of what I thought was my understanding of Scripture. I wasn't walking in love towards my brother or sister. I was walking in arrogance and pride. Paul's saying, grow up. Love each other in this. Stronger brother, you are coming around the weaker brother in love, and you, instead of destroying them, need to be coming around them and moving them towards salvation. Now, not moving them towards salvation and that salvation is not secure from the moment of justification, but the Bible doesn't think linear like this. Yes, we are saved. Yes, we do not add to it. Yes, Jesus has done it. But... There is also at the same time a holding on and preserving to the end that we see throughout Paul's writings. Now, those who don't endure to the end, we understand in, in the reality of the gospel, we're never really saved, but those who are saved will endure to the end, but there is a walking out of us with stronger brothers and weaker brothers coming alongside each other and helping us endure. To the end and pushing towards, pushing towards the reality of working out our sanctification and our salvation with tr- fear and trembling. Amen? Does that make sense to everybody? That is not a contradiction. So we live together in love as we hold each other up and help each other endure through our difficulties and through our different issues. What I want you to hear this morning is that our love towards each other in light of the gospel is very active. And you know what the tendency is sometimes when we hear messages like this? It's really, it's, it's amazing because I do this, all right? I hear very practical messages when people preach them from the word and, and my first notion is almost to do the antithesis of what this passage is calling for me to do. And I will sit and hear it and think, man, yeah, so-and-so really struggles with this. Right? You wouldn't believe those folks. And maybe this is an opportunity for us as we are here on the Lord's Day worshiping together and allowing the Word of God to wash us, as Romans 12 says, and renew our minds. Let's get a little introspective. And just kind of take a check and look inside of ourselves and see how can we love our brother or sisters better in relationship to these issues. What are these secondary issues in my life that I've made primary? That I have, I have made ultimate? That I have thought are so important that I maybe run the chance, run the risk of destroying the work of God over it. There is a seriousness to this passage that's almost shocking. He talks about destroying your brother. And in verse 20, he says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Wow. And you might think, that just seems crazy. Unless you've been around the church for very long. Because I've seen the work of God get destroyed over stuff just like meat and vegetables in the lives of people. Paul's saying, don't let that happen. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Yes, everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. God, help us as a church to love each other better. I love what was in Brendan's prayer this morning. That we would love each other more than we love being right. And, uh, boy, you know, we're going to, as a church, as a body, we talk about this a lot in membership contexts, We're going to hurt each other. We're going to disappoint each other. We're going to upset each other. We're going to, from time to time, offend each other. And the tendency sometimes is to take the easy road and just bail. But the work of God is too important. The fact that God's brought us together as a church is too important. What we need to be able to do is, is have those conversations so that we have the opportunity to love each other in this. What we need to do is say, hey, let's talk. Let's just sit down and deal with this. You, you, you upset me when you said that. You upset me when you did that. And I love you, man. And, 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 and people who are hearing that need to not react, but respond and say, man, let me think about that for a minute. Let me check myself and see if there's something I did here." And, and if there's anything I did to offend you, I'm sorry. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch myself in relationship to you with that issue. And, and, and when you see, folks, when you see maturity that Paul's talking about in Romans 14, when you see love that, that looks like this, love that looks like people who love each other more than they love being right, Love that looks like people who forgive each other because they've been so forgiven. Love that looks like not just I have affection or sympathy for you when you're struggling, but the kind of love or compassion that enters into the suffering of another and helps hold someone up. The kind of love that the the Bible describes, it reflects the glory of God to a world who does not know this. Jesus declared it in John 13, 35. Listen, they're going to know you follow me, that you're my disciple. After he washed their feet, after he is the Messiah, the God of the universe, grabbed a dirty rag and put it on the feet of his disciples and scrubbed it to show them what it meant to be the greatest to show them what it meant and prepared them because he was about to go to the cross and serve them a lot more than washing their feet. After the example of Christ in that regard, he looked at them in John 13 and he said, people are going to know you follow me by what? Your love for one another. The way you treat each other. The way you treat your spouse, the way you raise your kids, the way you treat your coworkers, the way you treat other believers in relationships to struggles and strengths and weaknesses, that's how people are going to get to know me. That's how they're going to know you follow me. They're not going to know you're Jesus' disciple by what movies you watch or don't watch. They're not going to know you're Jesus' disciples because whether or not you dance or you don't dance at a wedding. They're going to know you're Jesus' disciples because of the way you love each other. How do we love one another? Are we bickering and fighting like people who haven't been saved by such a great savior? And forgiven by such an incredible Lord? Or do we in maturity love and forgive and go to each other? And and allow forgiveness to wash over these secondary issues? and, and, And look out for our brothers and sisters more than we do ourselves? Live for each other in that regard. One last thing, and I'm going to close. Here's another reason, and I almost forgot this. Look at what he says in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hey, the kingdom of God is not about these issues. The kingdom of God is not about what you do and what you don't do. The kingdom of God is about this righteousness that Jesus has provided for us. It's about peace and it's about joy. That joy that goes beyond your ability to understand. Where does that come from? Doing this? Living like this? The opposite. Of what we would think. See, we think the pursuit of my rights, the pursuit of what I want to do, the pursuit of happiness produces happiness. Blessed, blessed is the man who seeks after blessedness. Does it ever say that? Does it ever say that? Blessed is the man who pursues and who seeks blessedness. Now. Blessed is the man who seeks after righteousness. Seek ye first my kingdom. Then all these things will be added unto you. Quickest way to not be happy is to try so hard to be happy. To pursue your own happiness is to be miserable. To pursue righteousness, to pursue loving each other, is to bring a joy that the Bible talks about in a way that you you just can't even understand it. I'm walking through tragedy and difficulty. I may not be temporally happy, but I feel joy. I'm pursuing not putting a stumbling block in front of my brother and just loving them in that way and sacrificing a temporal happiness that I should be able to have. But you know what? Christ died for him or her. I'm going to put that temporal joy, that temporal satisfaction that we're always going after, I'm going to put that away. I'm going to sacrifice it. And I'm going to love my brother in this. And I'm going to just not have it. And guess what? We're going to live in joy. Real joy. It goes beyond our ability to understand. The kingdom of God, it's not about eating and drinking. Righteousness, peace, peace. Enjoy amen let 's pray God, we just thank you for your word you you've spoken to us in your word. Help us to, to dive into it, to continue to read it, to continue to allow it to change us. Our perspectives so often get naturally skewed. We're so often bent towards sin. And just getting into your word together and hearing from you, sometimes we can scramble back to what really matters, scramble back to how it is we're to live. Remind us of the realities of the gospel and let it change us in the way that we love each other and live amongst each other and serve each other. God, our prayer is that our church would reflect your glory that people would know who you are and that we follow you because of the way we love each other, the way we serve each other, the, the way that we live amongst each other in light of your gospel. Help us in these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.